the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. The idea is, the objective is, deny yourself because then you can be more focused on the things of the Lord. Now, I think it's a legitimate thing to say that sometimes you can have fasting that is not a food issue. It could be a material issue. Perhaps you might want to fast from television because that can suck a lot of your time away from the Lord and maybe redirect the time you would otherwise sit around watching television and spend that time in In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about biblical fasting. Fasting is the practice of abstaining from food to be more focused on the things of the Lord. Throughout the Bible, we see various examples of this being lived. When most people think of fasting, they think of food, which generally is what someone abstains from during a fast. However, the principle of fasting can be applied to anything. You can do a fast of TV, social media, video games, or anything else that could be taking time away from the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Matthew is where we are, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're chapter 6, and again, just by way of repetition, but the main theme of the book, of, uh, rather the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is that true followers of Jesus Christ are to be more concerned about their thoughts, attitudes, and motives of our hearts than about external religious performance, which only produces a false righteousness. And this is what Jesus is addressing here through this Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, we looked at how he deals with the subjects of giving, praying, and fasting. We made our way through the subjects of giving and praying. Tonight, we're going to pick up with the topic of fasting. But again, just to remind ourselves that Jesus, when he taught about these three particular subjects, first of all, he assumes that we're doing these things because in each of these sections, He says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, not if. So he assumes that we should be doing these things and practicing these as spiritual disciplines of our faith. Number two, he also consistently mentions about these three subjects that we should be doing these things without show. And he says that these things should be done in secret. We should give in secret, we should pray in secret, and we should fast in secret. That isn't to say that no one should ever know that we do it. Somebody's going to probably uh, be calling our names when they can't find us if we're praying somewhere in our prayer closet. Uh, but it is to simply say that we don't do it to you know, demonstrate how spiritual we are, but we do it humbly and discreetly. 
And then the third thing we noted about these three subjects is that God sees and God rewards what is done in secret. So if we do it as unto the Lord and not as unto people to be noticed or recognized, then God is going to honor our discipline in the areas of giving and praying and fasting. So we come now here to verse 16 on the subject of fasting. And uh, Jesus says this, chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, again, not if, but when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they, check this out, they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Now, I know if you've ever fasted, you have kind of a disfigured face, don't you? Because you're thinking about Big Macs, and you're thinking about Taco Bell, and you're thinking about Chick-fil-A, and so you're kind of like, you know, your face is low. But they would actually disfigure, they would actually paint their faces to make them look even more pale than, than they otherwise were. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will uh, not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of culture in this statement that Jesus makes, because if you or I were to oil down our hair, people would otherwise think something is wrong. But in those days, yeah, it's kind of like the equivalent of putting a little gel or mousse or hairspray, and so you oil down, slick down your hair, and people are going to think it's normal. It wouldn't look so normal if you're having you know, olive oil dripping off your cheekbones uh, today. But Jesus is basically saying, do this in a humble, discreet way. Don't let people know. Don't make a big deal. Don't make a big deal. If somebody asks you to lunch and you happen to be fasting, just gently excuse yourself and say, you know what, I I really can't today. How about next week? But you don't need to say, well, in fact, I'm sorry I can't because I am fasting. And I've been fasting to seek the Lord and to gain his favor and his insight and his wisdom and... As such, I cannot partake with you and just stop that. You don't need to just say any of that. Just humbly and modestly say, you know what, I can't really join you today. I'd love to join you next week or next month or however long your fast is going to last. But but do this discreetly as unto the Lord. Now, a few things about fasting. Fasting is denying ourselves food or, for that matter, anything else that would help us to direct our focus and our attention to God. It is to heighten our spiritual awareness and attention toward God. And by denying ourselves food in particular, it starves a fleshly craving and it accentuates a spiritual craving. That's the basis behind fasting in general. And I've mentioned this many times before, but I love the old Puritans' uh, expression for fasting. They called it soul fattening because there was something about denying yourself food, drawing closer to the Lord that was enriching to your soul that is spiritually fattening of the soul. And so uh, rich language there that the Puritans used. Uh, Fasting is mentioned about 65 times in the Bible as being practiced throughout Scripture. And when you think about fasting, we need to think about it in terms of sometimes it can be a full fast or a partial fast. And by that, what we mean is that a full fast would be you're denying yourselves food completely and you're only drinking liquids. Now, there's going to be variations in this part, even of a full fast. Let me just point out to you that I, in talking to other people, I know that this, this, there's some variations with this. So some people will drink only water. 
It's a straight, no food and only drinking water. You have to be drinking some liquids of some kind because we can go longer without food than we can without liquids. So you're going to have to be drinking something. Uh, but then there are other people who, you know, personally, I need a little orange juice. My blood sugar takes a dive, and I, I don't do well if I'm only having water. But, you know, some of you can have a little orange juice, a little juice. Uh, you know, I'm probably a cheater when it comes to fasting because I will tend to just put anything in a blender, and if, if I liquefy it, I feel like it's okay. <laughs> don't judge me, all right? <laughs> Because we're going to get to a section in chapter 7 about not judging others, all right? So don't judge me. I just, if I'm going to fast, I want to at least have a smoothie of some kind. And, and that's okay for me. Now, for you, you, maybe it has to be completely just water. But you're going to have to be drinking something. But a full fast would be to deny yourself food. Now, there's partial fasts, too. And that is that maybe you just want to fast a meal, like you're going to fast only breakfast, or you're going to fast only breakfast and lunch, and then you're going to have a family dinner. You know, do it with intention that you're going to fast those meals, because you're going to spend some time also in prayer, and you're going to seek the Lord, and you just kind of want to, you know, be more focused on the things of the Lord. But maybe it's not just simply fasting a meal, maybe it's fasting particular kinds of food. So maybe you eat three meals a day, but you're going to cut out like sweets, and you're going to cut out meat and you're going to go just vegetarian or fruit for a couple of days or whatever. This is what Daniel did. In Daniel chapter 1, uh, in verse 12, and uh, then more specifically in Daniel 10, verse 3, uh, Daniel said that he had, in Daniel 10, 3, he said he had no choice food, which is an expression for no sweets, no delicacies, no uh, breads, no choice foods, no meat, no wine. That's what Daniel 10, 3 said. And then he talked about how he just had a diet of vegetables and fruit. So it can be a variable type of fast, but the idea is, the objective is, deny yourself because then you can be more focused on the things of the Lord. Now, I think it's a legitimate thing to say that sometimes you can have fasting that is not a food issue. It could be a material issue. Perhaps you might want to fast from television because that can suck a lot of your time away from the Lord and maybe redirect the time you would otherwise sit around watching television and spend that time in prayer. Maybe there's a fasting from television. Maybe there's a fasting from Facebook some of you might need to try. A fasting from Twitter because how much time does that take? I mean, I'll be honest with you. It, it's one of the reasons why I just I don't get on Facebook because I just don't want to take the time to get in to be sucked into that social networking bottomless pit and then I can't get out and I know too much about myself that once I get into it I'll just get too engrossed with it so you know maybe that's something the Lord would challenge you about it doesn't have to be forever maybe just for a period of time just so that you can be more devoted to the things of the Lord maybe God wants you to fast from your phone. Wait a minute, I don't know why I said that. Let's move on. Uh, But there can be different types of fasting. The idea is, what can we do to deny ourselves? And principally the idea is food, but it can be, because some of you can't fast from food because you have health issues. Maybe some of you are diabetic and you can't really go that long without food. And um, other health issues that would be prohibitive for you to fast from food in a dietary sense. But there are other things we can give up. There are other things that we can sacrifice with the intention of not just trying to be super spiritual and not having other people to know, 
but to draw close to the Lord so that our spiritual senses are more heightened and our attention and our awareness towards God is more directed towards Him and not towards these other things that steal our time and attention and devotion. So fasting is a good discipline, and Jesus says when you do it, not if you do it. Do it not like the hypocrites. Be sincere about this. Make it unto the Lord. Do it secretively that in the sense of humbly and discreetly, and God who sees what you do in secret will reward you. There's great benefit to fasting. I encourage you to try it if you never have. We see many different reasons and examples in the Bible for fasting. This is just a partial list, and I'm going to quickly read these verses uh, so that you can get an appreciation for the reasons that uh, some people would fast throughout the Bible. One reason is to repent. In Nehemiah 9.12, it says, On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. Another reason sometimes to fast is to mourn or to grieve. And uh, some of you know that this might even come naturally because when you're in uh, mourning or grieving, some, some people don't even want to eat. And so it might even be more natural. But in Esther 4.3, it says, In every province to which the, the edict and order of the king came, and the edict of the king was to destroy all the Jews. This is ancient Persia. And there was an edict given because the king had been uh, tricked into, by Haman into issuing this decree to kill all the Jews. And so the king signs off on it. And it says that when the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, Weeping and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Another reason is to intercede for others. Maybe someone is really on your heart and you're burdened for them. Well, David in Psalm 35, 13 said, Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting when my prayers returned to me. And then to break chains of bondage, Isaiah 58, 6. Isaiah 58 is a great chapter all about fasting. Read it sometime. Isaiah 58, 6 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Maybe some of you, there's a pattern or there's a habit, there's a bondage that you want to break and you need the Lord's help, and fasting can be an, a tool to facilitate that kind of thing. Another reason on the list there is to petition God and to uh, seek answers. Uh, Ezra petitioned the Lord in Ezra 8, 21. He says, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. This is when the Jews were going to make pilgrimage back to the promised land, back to the holy land after their years of captivity in Babylon. Ezra goes on to say, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. And then we also see an example in the New Testament in Acts 14.23 about appointing leaders. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in every church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So many different reasons that are uh, significant for us to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. I encourage you to, to do that if, uh, if you never have and if you, if you already have, then consider other times that it might be important for us to do that.
Well, the next section here in uh, Matthew chapter 6 is subtitled Treasures in Heaven. And Jesus says this in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And the idea behind storing up is the idea of hoarding it. Nothing wrong with accumulating, but it's wrong to hoard it for yourselves. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus says three things about earthly treasures in this section that we've just read. Number one, he says that earthly treasures will deteriorate. That's why he reminds us in verse 19 that moth and rust will eventually destroy the things that we own at some point. He also tells us here, number two, that earthly treasures need protecting because he talks about how thieves can break in and steal. And then he reminds us also that earthly treasures divide the heart. It's the last section there in verse 24, because he said no one can serve two masters. You're either going to love one, despise the other, or the other way around. And he says no one can serve both God and money. And money is capitalized in the NIV. If you have a King James Bible, it uses the word mammon. And that is a term that idolizes money, which is really why money is capitalized also in the NIV. It's the idea that money has taken on a life of its own and it's become an idol. And if it becomes an idol, then our hearts will be divided. We won't serve the Lord because we will serve our material things or vice versa. But we cannot have exclusive devotion to the Lord when money becomes an idol in our lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money. We need money in order to live out our lives. In fact, Paul in 1 Timothy 5, 8 basically says, get a job. Uh, because it's important for us to make a living, and there's a strong work ethic all through the Bible, and God expects us to be about that. If a man does not work, he shall not eat, is what the Bible says. But then we can take money to an extreme where we idolize it and make a God out of it, and then our heart is divided. We're not really going to be devoted to the Lord. And there's warnings about this in the Bible. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And some people have misquoted 1 Timothy 6.10, and they say, well, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. You can have money, just don't love it. Just don't idolize it. Just don't worship it. Money makes a terrible master, but it makes a great servant. If you can use it for God's glory, then you have made it a servant. But if it uses you and takes advantage of you, it has mastered you and you are its servant. Money makes a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. And so there's some caution here in relation to the subject of earthly treasures. And the bottom line is what God is saying here is that it's important for us to make an eternal difference with the resources that God has given us. That's why he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because if we use it to make eternal differences, if we use our material possessions to invest in God's kingdom work here on earth, we're then investing in eternal things and there will be a rich dividend that cannot often be measured 
in earthly or tangible ways. And where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Isn't that true? That wherever you have been most heavily invested is where your affections usually are. You can take a look at your life and see where you spend most of your money. Those are the things that you probably love the most. And so we have to be careful, especially because we are so blessed in many ways. So it's an incredible privilege and responsibility we have to live in such a lucrative place and to be so well off in many ways, relatively speaking, that we have particularly to be more careful at how we manage our money that God has given us. It is all His. We have to be careful. We use it for eternal benefit and for eternal purposes and not to hoard it and not to idolize it and not to be mastered by it. Now, what is this part here, though, where he throws in in verse 22, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, kind of in the middle of the subject of treasures in heaven. He says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, it's important to recognize there's a Jewish expression here, and Jesus is capitalizing on this. The Hebrew is ayin tova. Ayin tova means good eyes. And it was an expression in those days to mean that if you have a good eye, then you see the goodness of the Lord and you see all his blessings and therefore you give accordingly. You give generously because you see that everything that you have is from God and so you have a good eye. You have ayin tova. But then the other expression is if you have ayin hara, rather, ayin hara, meaning you have an evil eye, it means you're stingy and you don't see God's goodness and you don't see his blessing and so you don't give because you, you don't recognize the goodness of God. And so Jesus is using this expression in the midst of this whole topic of treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, and and it's a Jewish expression that has to do with seeing the goodness of God, and when you really recognize and see the wonderful blessing of God's hand that has been poured out in your life, then you will be generous accordingly and proportionally, because that's having then a good eye. Then he talks about this section of do not worrying. He closes out chapter 6 here, what we have is chapter 6. Uh, by saying, do not worry, starting in verse 25. And uh, the word worry appears six times in this section from verse 25 down to the end of the chapter. And he says, therefore, verse 25, and whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Because it really does link the section you just read with the section you're about to read. And so he's linking the previous section. And he's saying, okay, now, Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth, but make heavenly, eternal investments. But now, if you're going to be generous like this, then he already anticipates what the concern is. Well, if I start really getting generous because God's generous with me, I may not have enough to take care of myself. I'm going to end up in a poor house. You know how that mentality goes. We we begin to think that somehow we can't be very generous because then we won't have enough to get by. I've never known anyone that has ended up on the street because they gave too much to God. I've never had to go visit somebody in a homeless shelter because they gave so much and they were so generous that they ended up poor and in the homeless shelter. But we have this mentality. I don't know if I should give this much because then I may not have enough. And so Jesus adds this next section here. Now, don't worry about your basic needs, what you will eat and what you will wear, because God's going to take care of you. So he says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know